Hello, fellow nerds. Check out our network site, nerdsloth.com. You can also connect with us on social media like the Facebook, the Twitter, and the Instagram. If you like what you hear, look for Nerdsloth on Patreon and consider donating to help us continue delivering quality shows straight to your ears. If you'd like to help the shows out for free, head over to iTunes and write a heartfelt review. I mean it. Make me cry happy tears. But seriously, though, anything you can do really helps us out and we love you for it. Sword of Omens, come to my hand. I, Lionel, command it. I also command that you keep listening to Adrian Has Issues. Hey everybody, welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I'm very excited about today's show because we got ourselves a little bit of a uh, roundtable panel here. So let's see, to start things off, we have Matt Harding, who is the co-editor of this really cool anthology that came under my radar, thanks to one of my other guests we'll introduce in a minute. It's called Not Forgotten, a public domain superhero anthology, which celebrates golden age comic book heroes that didn't really catch on. So Matt's here to talk about that. I also have Kevin Cuff, who some of you may remember was on a show once before with Paul Gorey, the artist. The two of them had that really cool comic book called Oathbound, which is like a sci-fi meets spaghetti western. And Kevin also worked on the book called The Elvis Adventures, which we talked a little bit about very briefly at the end of that show. And we also have Ricardo Lima, who is an artist, and he and Kevin are the creative team on a book in that anthology called The Iron Skull. And basically, we're going to talk about the anthology itself and also The Iron Skull. So please welcome Matt Harding, Kevin Cuff, and Ricardo Lima. So how's everybody doing today? Good, thank you. Great, thanks for having me. <laughs> welcome back, Kevin. Thank you, sir. Also, I just want to thank you for bringing this to my attention because uh, I know like we kind of chat fairly regularly on social networking uh, since we first met. And, you know, we've been kind of trying to find ways to get back on a show. And when you sent this my way, it was like, do you have time? And I was like, hell yeah, I have time because this seems really cool, especially since I kind of have this weird fascination with uh, Golden Age comic book heroes only because there's so many of them I don't know of. And I thought this was a really cool way to introduce people to an era that kind of doesn't get talked a lot about, which is why I'm glad that Matt Harding's here. Like I said, he's one of the co-editors, and you are also the creator of a book, which I'm going to try to say this without tripping up because it's kind of fun but a little tricky, Pop Apocalypse, correct? That's correct. You did, you did great. Let me tell you. All right. That's only because I was very slow earlier before we got started. I tried to say it very fast, and I realized it sounded like I was stuttering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, t- it takes a few times, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so first things first, send this over to Matt. Um, I guess well, let's get a little bit of background about the anthology. What was it about this that attracted you to the project, and uh, how did it all come to be? It, at first, it started where there was uh, an article. I think I think it was a Bleeding Cool article uh, that was just talking about like kind of like the main ten Golden Age heroes that you would hear about, uh, Black Terror and a couple of people like that. And I shared it around just saying, like, oh, man, it, you know, it'd be really cool to do something with this. And uh, a buddy of mine, uh, the other editor for this, Inar Malson, he's all the way over in Iceland. And um, we went to school together. And we all met up. And we're like, yeah, you know, let's, let's try to do this, this book. You know, we could just bring back some of these old heroes, 
short stories, make an anthology. It'd be kind of like a you know cool little thing between friends. And we all met up at, in San Francisco. Enar was here uh, visiting. And we put it out. We put out like a call for submissions out. And that's when it just exploded. So many people, uh, Kevin being one of them, saw this and just jumped on it. Like they, they just really wanted to, to be a part of it. Uh, I think we got something like 75 submissions. Oh, wow. Uh, and we had to, we had to narrow it down to, to like 20. And so that was really tough, but you know, we got some really good stories to go with now. So I'm guessing then you guys kind of had something of an appreciation for the golden age. Cause like I said, for a lot of comic book readers like myself, and I guess it was probably different maybe from a generational aspect because obviously uh you know bronze and onward is sort of what i know of and i know a little bit of silver so i'm guessing it's like did you kind of grow up with like at least uh an appreciation of this or is this something that kind of just came up later on no i didn't grow up with an appreciation and that's that's actually one of the things about the book that it started when i actually started digging into it and i, I started like looking into the archives that uh, you could you could look at the archives on our website actually we have it all linked there I started looking into the archives and into a lot of these characters, and I had no idea that there's this like really like crazy, interesting things going on with these characters that people just don't talk about that they, they don't know about. You know what I mean? Right. Because I mean, there's a few that are fairly popular, but I guess those are so few and far between. You have a couple that I think were revived by Dynamite Project Superheroes. So you have those characters. There's people like Batman, the Flying Saucer. Like what the hell is that? Like it's 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 a it's a giant fat guy who, who can shape shift into a flying saucer and fly around things, you know. Uh, it's <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like if that were my superpower, that'd totally be it. <laughs> the best thing about these comics is that they were just insane. Like they were just crazy comics, you know. Like it was before anybody had been in space. It was before anybody knew anything about anything like scientifically. Really, it was. It was just like this creative explosion where there's no rules. Like uh, one of one of my favorite characters, I, I think he's actually my, my absolute favorite one. The one that I wrote for the anthology is this this character called Pharaoh, and he's only been in two stories. One was vastly different than the other one because I think they all of a sudden wanted to turn into like a sci-fi. But he's uh, his name is Pharaoh, the intergalactic detective, right? And he is always on the case trying hmm. to. Uh, uh, fight vampires and werewolves that come from Pluto, and he's got he's got a laser gun, and he has these pills. And if he takes a pill, he turns into a giant gorilla detective. That's kind yeah. of awesome. I mean, I'm probably saying that being a little bit older, because by the time I started reading comics was late '80s into you know early '90s and so on. Where in that era, looking at something of Golden Age superheroes, you're like. Oh my god, this is the dumbest thing. Because I'm sure me younger would hearing that about a, uh, a detective that transforms into a gorilla. I'm like, that sounds like one of the worst things. I'll never read it. But I guess I'm at this point in my life where I'm like, you know what? Screw that. That sounds like so much fun to have this sort of weird freedom where you just can basically tell these stories. And yeah, you're right. There's a reason why a lot of these characters didn't catch on because I have a feeling that those premises are a little flimsy and maybe won't hold up to like long like stretches of comics but at the same time i guess there's that kind of fun why not sort of vibe to it where you can pretty much do whatever you want well within reason and pretty much just kind of have fun telling wacky stories and not really worrying too much about what people thought about them i don't know i think there's just an interesting freedom to that yeah totally like you know like things like adventure time and stuff like that and uh and rick and Morty and, and you know cartoons and stuff like that are so big right now that 
I kind of feel like there's that there's like a, a resurgence of that type of story. Right. Wild. I feel that this anthology couldn't come at a better time. It's a good thing you mentioned Adventure Time because that's something, you know, you couldn't do that story a couple of years ago. You know, like I said, you would have probably just been like laughed right off of television. But yeah, I think it's really cool that we can do that sort of thing now. And speaking of sort of fun outlandish stories, um, we're going to bring it over to Kevin and uh, Ricardo real quick. So let's talk a little bit about the Iron Skull. Kevin was awesome enough to send me a couple of the pages, and I know that one colored page is insane. So um, I guess I want to give you a little bit of background as to the Iron Skull itself and how you guys got attached to the project. Sure. Do you want to go first, Ricardo, or would you like me to go first? Uh, you can go first. Okay. I, I saw Vince Kakua, who, who Matt mentioned earlier, um, posting up on Facebook about needing a writer. So I was like, hey, man, I'll write anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to do comics. He was like, yeah, like I'm doing these two stories and I would pay somebody to write it. I was like, you didn't have to pay me. I just want to write it. And he was like, all right. And so he was like, I, I have a bunch of writers that, that said they wanted to do it. So I'll have to look through and see what I'm doing. And then eventually he goes, well, this is becoming an anthology. So there's another guy who's looking for a writer and I kind of already have some of my stuff already down. Do you want me to like introduce you to him so you can work with him? And I was like, sure. So He's, he hit me up with Ricardo's information, so I hit up Ricardo and be like, hey, like, Vince gave me your info. What kind of stories are you trying to do? And I'll pass it to Ricardo because I, I can't remember exactly which characters he had in mind at first. I know one of them was a, a jungle girl character who was, like, Aztec. Um, and I looked at her stuff, like, in depth, trying to, like, find something for her um, that he really wanted to do. He wanted the, the main character to be female at first. And I was like, that's totally cool with me. Uh, let's just check and see what, what's, what's around. So I'll pass it over to him so he can, I'm sure he can remember the three characters because I can't. I, I can't either, honestly. <laughs> really? Yeah, I, I, I do remember the jungle girl. But... Oh, he was looking for you for that one. And he's like, no, like, oh, crap. <laughs> I remember one was an Aztec girl and then he had put out two more. And I was like, huh, like, I don't know what to do with, with, with this. So like, I'll, let me mull it around. And I, and I said, I was looking through stuff and I said, what about this Iron Skull guy? Like, he's kind of boring. The way that they wrote him originally, he's kind of like got cybernetic implants and he's like um, poorly drawn. He's got a triangle nose. <laughs> he he um he looks like from the 30s, like, I mean, for the 30s, I, I guess the art was standard. But he looked weird when you would see him. Like, I don't know what Ricardo's first thoughts on him were, but when I saw him, I was like, this is a guy we need to redo because no matter what we do, it's going to be better. <laughs> so um, <laughs> he was kind of like a secret agent and then they revamped him to be part of like this uh, sort of... Uh, sci-fi thing where he had cybernetic implants and uh, a ring and all this other stuff from the 40s to the 60s he underwent a change then i was like i can come up with something for this in two days so he was like all right let's see what you come up with so i do remember this because i remember being up late one night having the idea hit me while i w woke up to go to uh to the bathroom or wash my face in the middle of the night and then just writing it down on a piece of paper at like some odd hour, like 3 a.m. And I knew that it was only like midnight where Ricardo was. So I messaged him. <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> well, the way Kevin pitches things, it's just like it's, it's whatever time. But like the way he pitches it, it just seems so grandiose in every, in every respect. Every time he sends me something, I'm like, dude, that sounds amazing. We need to do that. 
Kevin has that sort of fundamental, and I learned that, you know, the last time he was on the show. It's like you get so hyped about things, like you can't help but gravitate towards it. And not for nothing, though, I guess when it comes to comics and creating them, considering how much of a labor it can be, like, if you're not hyped about it, I guess it's like, you know, why bother at that point, you know? So basically, the idea was that we would uh, take the the Ricardo, I said, well, what do you want to draw? So I'll let him go from there, because that's where the idea was founded. So basically, I was looking for anything like uh, Hispanic, Aztec, Mayan sort of deal. Just from my background, I'm half Mexican, half Cuban. So I wanted to do something in that respect. And when Kevin pitched me the idea for Iron Skull, I immediately thought of Day of the Dead. And we just kind of snowballed with that idea for a little while. And it just uh, got to where it is today. That's something that I really dug about the artwork because it definitely has that land vibe to it. Because immediately when I saw like the skull, because it reminds me of what is it, the uh... sugar skulls, yeah, little muertos. Yeah, like sugar skulls, and like I thought that was a really cool vibe. Mm-hmm. And in a way, it almost reminded me of um, what's the Batman villain, Black Mask. And I think at that point, I'm like, I don't know. I just have like this weird fascination with like superheroes <laughs> with skulls for heads because I'm like, look, I know he's a Nazi, but Red Skull is an awesome character design. <laughs> and it's just like I, I hate admitting that to myself, but I, when I saw like that one color page, I'm like, all right, I know nothing about the original character, but I think this is gonna work out. <laughs> Yeah, Fred definitely killed that page. It got me super hyped for this project. I've always had uh, Day of the Dead fascination since uh, Johnny Quest. Do you remember that character, uh, like that crazy character that uh, he carried around the Book of the Dead that he was always like preaching from and he would attack Johnny Quest and they always like kill him somehow? You're talking about from the original or the real adventures of? Uh, the newer version of it. Oh, what was his name? Like Ezekiel Rage or something like yeah, that? Yeah, Ezekiel Rage. Yeah, and then they yeah, because finally... he's always the guy. He's like, oh, so it is written in the Book of Rage. He's just scared the shit out of me. Yeah, and kind yeah. of growing up in a pretty Christian household. Uh, yeah, nuts. <laughs> they, they finally got the, they they finally got a hold of the book, and there was nothing in it. It was just all blank pages. Oh, that's dope. So that's awesome. cool. Damn, that's an awesome. <laughs> yeah. Now knowing that, I'm like, all right, that probably was an easy submission process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was that, actually that was stressful. <laughs> yeah, I say this not being one of the editors. It was stressful for us. So <laughs> I'm sure Matt was well, even more stressed. <laughs> well, you guys like shouldn't have stressed out because I was kind of like on board with with your guys' story since the since the beginning of it. Because Ricardo, you know, was always talking to me about about it and stuff, and I, I was sold on it before we even started going through the stories. There's like. Three or four stories that I was like, these are definitely the ones I'm championing. Uh, his was definitely one of them. Like uh, that was just pushing forward with with full force because that that story is really cool. That is really cool. So funny you should mention the editing process. You said you had 75 submissions. So yeah. what is? I mean, I know you probably can't go into like super specifics, but you want to give maybe at least a little insight as to the criteria and what you were looking for. You know, the types of stories that would make the cut. Sure. So. We wanted to have like a couple that were like straightforward superhero stories. We had three editors starting, but one of them had to leave due to like life changes and stuff like that. But originally, each of us kind of had like a thing we were looking for, like a type of story that we particularly gravitate towards. Right. Mine are those stories that are kind of like like crazy, you know, like Kevin's and uh, Ricardo's is crazy. And it's really like it's an interesting take on it. So what, what I was looking for is I was looking for stories that weren't just like, oh, this guy wants to become a superhero and he, you know, buys a suit and goes and fights crime. You know, like I wanted stories that were a different take on it, you know, right? which theirs definitely is. Like, I'll let them tell you about it, but there's like definitely kind of like a different take on this character. And so a lot of what I was, I was looking for was that type of thing. We looked for diverse stories. Like we want stories that because another problem we ran into 
is a lot of these old heroes are, are just no joke are just rich white dudes like they were just rich white dudes who would buy suits and then go and fight crime so like we wanted to like change that up of course better reflect you know the times so we look for that we look for stuff that wasn't just you know one guy fighting another guy and that's it you know we want we wanted stories that just kind of modernized it you know like kind of made really interesting cool stories and we wanted a lot of diversity in the stories too like we wanted some that were funny some that were you know kind of scary some that were sci-fi some that you know we, we just wanted a good mix of stuff and thankfully we got 75 submissions so we had a whole bunch of different things to like pick from you know well, I guess at that point, you said you were going to let Kevin and Ricardo tell that part of the story. So I guess, did you guys have anything to add to that? What we tried to do with ours was, like like Matt said, it, the old uh, Iron Skull was a white guy. And he was like a secret agent. And I, I wouldn't say he was rich, but he had his own kind of criteria. And the reason why he was called the Iron Skull was because in the 60s version, I think like the Nazis had taken over and stuff like that. Which, he's blonde-haired and blue-eyed, so I found that to be kind of weird. Like, you're kind of what they would be looking for. <laughs> so it's like you're fighting this but you're kind of like in the top tier of what those dudes want but what ricardo and i started to talk about was like let's just revamp the whole history and like make it our own and make this guy from a latino culture which is going to be more like research on my point but if i do anything out of bounds like i have you to rein me in and say this doesn't fit the culture this doesn't fit the thing so i did a lot of research on that because i wanted to make sure that we were very respectful to Mexican culture in doing it. But the idea originated from, I don't know if you guys are familiar with um, El Santo, who is a uh, like 60s movie guy. It was uh, Rodolfo Guzman Huerta, uh, who was El Santo, which translates to the saint. And if you look up like El Santo, it's like El Santo fights like all kinds of monsters in a luchador mask. So I said to Ricardo, I was like, can he be a luchador? Would that be okay? Because I kind of want to draw on that. Like um, He's like a folk hero in Mexico. Because... Luchadors are basically considered superheroes, which is why, like in the opening lines of the comic, he says, "Like I knew what I wanted to be." Like he he wanted to be more than just like this dude. He wanted to give people hope through his wrestling, through, through being a luchador, because of the status given in Mexico to luchadors. He's trying to fight for hope in the city that is um, being vastly consumed by a darkness, and and that was the main themes we tried to go with for the story. And Ricardo's like, "Oh, I love that." I was like, "Cool." <laughs> I mean, I'll let Ricardo tell, like, the part with the design and stuff we went through because um, we weren't sure if we were going to give him a skull for a head or anything at first. The design is all, like, Ricardo, pretty much. Yeah, I've actually drawn a couple of stories just on my own about luchadors and stuff. So when Kevin pitched me that idea, I was on board right away. The design process overall was difficult, to say the least. I had so many different styles because every time he pitched me something, it would give me new and different way to think about our story. So I did like three different styles and, and sent it to Kevin and we just kind of sent it all over and asked people their opinions and, and ended up with the design that we have now for the Iron Skull. Um, yeah, that's pretty much how it went for, for all the characters. Well, one thing about the blonde hair, blue eye thing that's, that's interesting that I found when I was researching a lot of these characters is a lot of them are also like pilots, too. I think the weird thing about it is, is that a lot of the stories aren't actually focused on what the origin is. It's like just the default, like white guy pilot, ex-pilot or white guy ex-soldier. And then the, the part that they put like a lot of effort into was like what they are doing now or like what they're, I mean, most of them are like some type of detective or fighting Nazis or something like that. And what their like powers are or something, you know, like, that's where all the emphasis got put. And it was always like this default like character of like, oh, I'm a white guy who was a pilot, you know, and I've got this wavy blonde hair and, you know, that, that kind of thing. 
Yeah, I noticed that too when I went through all of the uh, the public domain characters, which is why we kind of went through a process, Kevin and I, where we were like, how much of this story do we actually want to keep? And we just ended up scrapping the whole thing, only keeping the Iron Skull character, but redesigning him to, to fit a new mold that we had set for him. Because a lot of those stories, it's like you said, it's this very standard form of hero. And I guess it's like, you know, around wartime, it makes sense that a lot of them would be pilots or soldiers or things like that. But it's always like these guys who always end up embodying some sort of, I guess, what would be considered like a, a foreign entity or some sort of such a superpower for like otherworldly kind of thing. But it's like, all right, you're the furthest thing away from this culture. So wait, how did you get a- attached to this? You know, <laughs> oh, like this guy from like Milwaukee who used to be a fighter pilot now like becomes like some weird Mayan god. I'm like, wait, that's not kind of how that works. But all right. <laughs> it's like, why not having somebody from that exact culture? You know, I'm sure they can handle this on their own, you know? Yeah. And in that, in that respect, that's something that Ricardo and I tried to draw from our story was Mexican culture and mythology because he had mentioned Aztecs. And so we kind of wanted to do a theme where like the city, New Cartagena, was kind of um, like a mix of uh, ruins and modern urban sprawl. It was a mix of modern architecture and like uh, Aztec ruins and, and sort of that architecture as well. So we kind of molded them together to try to make something new. And that was a big part of it. Like a big part of where this came from was like us trying to mold everything to fit into what we felt would be the a mythology for the character like um a great place for him to originate from because we're revamping everything i mean literally we kept the suit in the ring that's pretty yeah it. pretty much yep well that kind of makes sense though i mean really the point of this is not that they're just obscure golden age heroes but they're also public domain which pretty much means that you kind of have at least a little bit of leeway into how the characters are interpreted you know so it's not like you have to worry too much about uh you know any sort of red tape as far as that goes so why not then take that opportunity to sort of make the story your own or make the character your own because you know like i said i feel like it'd be a little dishonest to just be like unless you're just really into how the character's original origins are but you know i I think that's not necessarily too bad a thing to kind of give it its own spin yeah for sure creatively the the public domain characters leave so much uh, space for creative expression and it's it's just like why not stretch your legs instead of going for something that's already been done Take that, copyright laws. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, something I was just wondering then, because it seems like as far as the work that you guys have put together, I mean, it's already coming together pretty quickly. I can almost see this being something of like a, not even an ongoing, but I think it'd even be cool to see this character, at least from what I've seen so far, even outside of the anthology, because I think you guys kind of have a really cool angle here, and it's something that I think it would be even cool to explore further on, even past this. Ricardo, I'll let you handle this because this is something we've this is something we've talked about extensively. Actually, yeah. um, um, it's really funny that you mention it because we we've um we have more stuff we'd like to do with the Iron Skull based on what we did because we were both really excited about where it went and where it could go, um, which is why it ends the way it does. But it, I think we, I think the exact legal things we have to pursue is we have to wait a year and a day according to what we signed for the anthology. But Ricardo and I have other stuff. I'll let him like talk about that. I also message Kevin in ungodly hours because I'm on West Coast time and he's on East Coast time. So sometimes I forget, but it, it all kind of started out when we first started the project, uh, when we first started messaging each other uh, through Facebook. And we're just like, these ideas just aren't flowing fast enough. So we ended up just calling each other and going back and forth. Uh, we have so many ideas for what the Iron Skull could be in the future. 
as far as uh, where his character is going to go, um, how he's going to change as a person, what, what other characters within the public domain, and even if we could within modern superheroes that we could incorporate into uh, the book itself. Because there's so many great Latino superheroes out there that, that it would just lend so well to the book. Uh, we've We've talked about that a lot. <laughs> Yeah, and not for nothing, you know, especially since with the current comic climate being what it is, you know, we're always talking about hearing voices from both the characters and also the creators. And I think this would be a really good push to have something like that come out. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um, This is before Trump was elected president, but we feel like Ricardo and I, like, I haven't really had a chance to talk to Matt about it. He's been very busy with the anthology and the Kickstarter. But we felt like the no band, no wall going on. We have a perfect character to sort of symbolize that fight because without allowing ourselves as Americans to be exposed to other cultures, like you have no idea that this kind of stuff goes on in Mexico. I would say the vast majority of the public doesn't know that Lidor is actually public folk heroes, nor do they know about some of the things we put into the story based on Aztec and Inca influence in the mythology of the character. For, for example, um, the main bad guy's name is uh, Mr. Miglan. And that it's a reference to, I'm, I'm going to kill it because it's Aztec, but it's like Mikla, ooh, so hard to say. That's why we made a Mr. Miklan. Miktan Tektahotil, he's the Lord of the Dead in Aztec cultures. And he actually, he's one of the gods that promoted ritual cannibalism. So at first, <laughs> we uh, started talking about doing it. It was like, oh, we should have him eat somebody. And Ricardo's like, oh, that's awesome. We should do that. And then, and then that's like PG thirteen, dude. PG thirteen. I'm like, all right. It's like you know what, Matt? You just want to, you just want to ruin all so, our fun, man. <laughs> now you just got to come out with another version. It's just kind of like not forgotten after dark. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> the second issue is going to be more gruesome than the first. Um. So, so instead of having him figuratively eat people. I came back to Ricardo and said, what if we had him basically like consuming the city? The basic premise is uh, Mr. McLean is like a rich developer who's consuming areas of the city, real estate development, which kind of puts him in, in like Trump shoes, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> so he deserves a punch in the face, um, like several times with a, with a, with a skull ring. Like it should happen. Um, but this is before that happened, so like we had no idea. But it's just one of those things where we wanted a, a, a story of this guy trying to bring hope to the city through what he's doing and doing the right thing. And um, poor Enzo, the main character's name is Enzo uh, Calabras, which his last name even means skull. And uh, he's trying to bring hope into the city. I don't give away too much, but he gets quelled by the uh, overwhelming forces of darkness. But when he uh, returns as the Iron Skull, brings hope to the city. Matt, I'm going to kick it over to you. So we've already gone through the editing process as far as like, you know, finding submissions and things like that. So I guess there's also the challenge of putting things together. So are there any personnel that kind of literally help put it together as far as like, because this is going to be like a hardcover? Is it a paperback or, you know, as far as like the production production? production yes, process. exactly. Oh, OK. We've been looking at different printers. One is uh, there's like a like a. I guess you would, they're not really like a printer, but they're like a broker to printers like around the world. And that's Print Ninja. And they won me over because I, I've done a couple of Kickstarters before. I uh, just my own personal comic. They had been like, hey, you know, do you need a printer? And I was like, yeah. And then they sent me like a package of their stuff. And with it came a ninja mask. And I was like, these guys are awesome. So like that scored a point. 
uh, for me. Uh, I had like a really fun night of pretending to be a ninja around the house. Uh, we're also thinking about going with uh, the printer that Image Comics actually uses because our uh, our production artist, the guy who's going to be like you know doing the InDesign work and stuff for it, and he's he's uh, working on putting the cover together and stuff like that, is is Vince Kua because uh, he's like really good at it. And he's looking into like, you know, different printers that they use, uh, their options. And so we're, we're like weighing everything out. But like the original one that we're going with was Print Ninja. We priced everything out. We have everything set for that. So we have a we have a stretch goal for it to become a hardcover. So right now it's just standard soft cover, you know, to make it a hardcover, we would just need five thousand dollars. Right now, the Kickstarter is twenty five thousand. If we make it to thirty thousand, this hasn't been announced yet, but if we make it to thirty thousand. Then it's everybody gets a hardcover. It's all hardcover. You got uh, an exclusive, Adrian. Yeah. Awesome, man. Thanks a lot. And the only reason why I'm asking is, like, just looking at the Kickstarter page, just even in terms of how the information is presented, you know, kind of reminds me of, like, those, like I said, those pulp sort of adventure comics, and especially even, like, how the um, the perks are kind of broken down. They kind of look like those old, uh, those order forms in, like, the back of comics, with, like, the x-ray glasses and, like, the rings and all that. And I thought that was a really nice touch, and it was, like, how cool would that be to actually have those, like, in the comics? <laughs> oh, we we are. We're gonna have that. Uh, we're we're do, we're trying to do all kinds of like cool uh, aesthetic stuff, you know. Right. Uh, one one thing, uh, which is a production uh, thing, is that the the paper is gonna be uh, matte finish. Ooh. So uh, it, all the paper inside is gonna. We're trying to make it seem like an old comic, you know. Uh, we're not gonna use newsprint just because that falls apart. You know, we won't be able to have like a good product. But we're gonna give like a cool matte finish, and we're gonna do all kinds of stuff to like give it an aesthetic of of being like an old old timey comic. So I guess we should get into some of the perks of um, Valdez, because I know you mentioned a few, but are there any others that you think people might be interested in checking out? So this is the first time I've ever done this, and I'm really excited about it, but we have enamel pins, right? Enamel pins are, like, huge now. Yeah, I was actually wondering about that, because I know a couple of bands that I follow and a couple of other places, like, um, people that I know who also do crafts, like, enamel pins have been very popular, and I don't know how that got started. I mean, I think it's awesome, but... It's like, oh wow, who would have thought that this would have sort of been a thing again? Right. Yeah, and, and like I kind of I kind of took to it, you know, because I, I I used to like you know I grew up like listening to punk rock when I was a kid and stuff and like hardcore music, and so I was like always about putting patches on my jackets and you know all that all that angsty teenager stuff, and uh, so like when pins started like this craze, like I, I'm all about it, you know, like I have all kinds of pins, and so like when we started doing this Kickstarter, I, I I wanted to have enamel pins, I wanted to make some, you know. Right. And uh, I have friends who do it, and so like they hooked me up with like people who who make them, you know, like you know manufacturers, and uh, we just kind of decided to do some. So like we have a couple pin designs, and then past that we have stickers. We got like really cool stickers, and we we use this this uh, this company called Sticker Mule, and they do like these really cool like vinyl stickers that hold up really well. Like they're really nice uh, matte finish stickers. Uh, and Ricardo and Kevin's characters is going to be one of those. Ricardo did this like really cool like iron skull like sticker design that is you can actually see on the Kickstarter page. And we have original artwork, so people will get we have like twenty pages that that people will be giving away, uh, and that number might go up uh, as we collect them. And I think there's only three of those left. Uh, there is only three left. You're right. Yeah, at this moment, only three of those. <laughs> Which unfortunately, it's like by the time this gets posted, they might be gone. But um, oh. I guess you know what? I guess if they sell out, that's kind of a good thing. So yeah. I guess you can't be too upset about that. <laughs> well, uh, so another exclusive, we're gonna add another tier. We're gonna add a two hundred dollar tier, which is gonna be um, like a full body commission from an artist in the book to do uh, like you as a like public domain superhero. So like you could pay 
the two hundred dollars, get all the stuff, and then also get like a full color eleven by seventeen commission of like you as like some type of superhero that you could either come up with the powers or something or base it on somebody else. Uh, like the, whoever buys it is totally it's up to them what they want. Right. Um, awesome. So we're gonna add that one this weekend probably. Awesome. That's a fantastic. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, because I think stuff like that people really like, and that's sort of why Kickstarters like this I think work because. You know, it's one thing like, okay, you make a book or you make a product and it's like, all right, here, buy this. And you're like, all right, I'll, uh, people may buy it or they may not. But, you know, kind of having something of like a personal stake in it or having, I guess, that much more involvement. I, I think something like that sense of ownership is what really helps stuff like this out. And like I said, I, I'm kind of a sucker for this. I'm a little biased, but I, I think this is something I think people really check out. And I mean, shoot, I mean, it's. Uh, just looking at as far as like the campaign itself, though, like you guys are kind of well on your way. Like you know, you're kind of making strides and such pretty early on into the campaign. Yeah, it's a different experience than doing the Kickstarter for like myself. You know, just my own. Right. This is a lot, a lot different, and I like this like a lot more. Like this is a lot better, I think. Like you know, you get people like Kevin and Ricardo here are really excited about it, and it's like that. That energy helps feed my energy, and it's it's just like this really cool experience, you know. Yeah, and that's kind of what we're talking about at the start of the show is comics, like a lot of art, even though it's like, yeah, okay, maybe performing the actual duties are, um, you know, obviously it's not like a bunch of people are hanging out, you know, watching Kevin Wright, you know, it's not like I'm standing behind with like a beer can screen, <laughs> like, woo, like, yeah, man, oh, you, you killed that sentence, buddy. You know, it's probably like a, a lot of time by yourself kind of writing and same thing like, you know, Ricardo and yourself, you know, working on your comics, not like there's a bunch of people in the room like high-fiving, like partying as you're working on comics, so, but I love the fact that it is still collaborative and, you know, it's like, yeah, you can work on what you have, but it's that much better when you have people who are, you know, working together and getting excited about it. So that way, you know, Kevin's talking about it, Ricardo's talking about it. And, you know, I guess people like ourselves, you know, putting, putting it out there, like on podcasts and other websites and stuff. But I think that's kind of what makes this all sort of pop. It's funny you bring that up with a beer can and reading the script. That is actually kind of me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, Kevin would send me something. I'd be drinking a beer, and I'd be like over text messages, like, "Dude, that's awesome! Keep doing yeah. that." <laughs> like, that that's one thing I because like this is my first time ever being an editor, right? And one of the things I like about it is that is that I, I'm reading all these like awesome stories that are coming in, and like Kevin's came in, and I was reading it, and I'm I'm like a I'm, a, I'm like an old school like Hellboy fan, and and I and I've always loved mythology and stuff, and I love luchadors like that that whole thing. When I was reading his script, I was just like, I'm sold. This is in. You know, like, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get this in. <laughs> yeah, Despite my bad grammar. So I, I had to tell Matt, like, I'm very bad at grammar. I, I can express stuff very well. Like, my dialogue is fine. I, I, I can talk, like, I can write how people talk. That's my strong point. But my weak point, my grammar is terrible. He was editing all the grammar, and I was laughing when I was reading his notes, because most of it was grammar edits. It wasn't even story edits. It wasn't like, this is this might work better here. Like, he had a couple of those, but when I'm reading his notes in on my computer, I'm like, I'm cracking up because it's all grammar stuff, and, like, I, I knew that that was going to happen. My grammar's terrible. <laughs> I'm, I'm bad at grammar, too. Yeah, and spelling, like, I'm terrible at spelling, but that's, you don't really need to be good at spelling to write, like, you know, a comic book script, so it all works pretty well, I think. Uh, my spelling's fine. My grammar is just like <laughs> run on sentence here. This, this. So I was laughing when I sent the script card. I'm like, like at the grant, like I said, the, the grammar's bad. Uh, expect it, but the dialogue should be pretty close to where it needs to be because I think about that, like when I'm writing it. I'm not really worried about panel description. Um, that's a great thing about comics that like we don't get to talk about very often as comic creators. Um, and and it's great to like be able to 
tell tell you about it, Adrian, and tell tell your all listeners about it. Like making comics is to me, it's akin to like Christmas because I'll write something down. And I'll have these ideas in my head, but visually it's kind of as being the fact that I can't draw, but both Matt and, and Ricardo can draw. I can't draw. So it's, it stays as this like extemporaneous idea floating around in my head. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of like what would be cool. And for the fight scenes, I just said, hey, go crazy here. Like, do whatever you want to. I, I kind of Marvel scripted that. We'll throw the word balloons in later. I'm not so worried about those as I am more about getting it right. Um, so, um, fight scenes, I don't want to give you choreography and make it confusing, because Ricardo hasn't had a chance to work on a comic prior to this. This is his first podcast, his first comic. Yeah. Oh, wow, man. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you, thank you. I'm glad I got so, uh, set up with Kevin, so it made it a lot easier. <laughs> He's just being nice, man. Um, <laughs> um, no, man, the way we worked was like super simple. Like Everything we kicked back and forth worked out, and creatively, it was just a joy to work with both Matt and Kevin. This was a, a project that was like very easy to work on. Um, mm-hmm. I'm used to things taking a lot longer, and and I'm not saying like Oathbound took a lot longer or Elvis. Elvis took the longest, actually. Funny enough, because that got dreamed up in in one month, and it took us like four to do it because back and forth on edit notes and stuff. And we were basically Bobby and I, Bobby uh, France, good friend of mine who writes uh, Monty the Dinosaur, um, my co-writer on a lot of stuff. We are hard on ourselves. <laughs> so we go back and forth a lot. This is easier because we had an editor and he's like telling us what's good, what we need to keep, where this goes. And, and Ricardo is also having input on story. And then I get pages back and he starts drawing it. And I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Christmas. It's like Christmas. I'm like, this is great. He has this one panel that's like, uh, like a bird's eye view of the, the city. Oh yeah. The first page, that first page, first panel. Yeah. The yeah. establishing show. Yeah. Yeah. I told him, I said, um, hey, um, the next couple panels are crowd shots, like, so don't beat me up because you wanted to draw Day of the Dead stuff, so like, I, I, that, those have to be crowd shots. He goes, no, no, I want to do it. And I'm like, you want to do it until you start drawing them, and then you're going to curse me out. And he's like, no, no, I want to do it. And then I call him the next day, and I'm like, are you cursing me out yet? He's like, crowd shots suck. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I, I, I told you. But they suck. <laughs> I, I told and, you. And he actually, in one of the other pages, he was like, "You know what? We could just do like a close up of this, and we don't really need this whole crowd shot." I'm like, "No, we need the crowd shot in this. It's a luchador match. Like, we need the people in the background to make it make sense." And he he calls me back later. He's like, "How that? How's that crowd shot coming?" I was like, "It's horrible, but we needed it." <laughs> he wasn't happy. I told him because he was he was he was adamant about doing it that way, and I laughed. <laughs> I was like, "Man, you're gonna you're gonna hate yourself for doing this." I mean, I'm trying not to do it to you, um, yeah. like, but you're gonna hate me and you for doing this. Uh, and he was like, "No, no, I'm gonna do it. It's gonna be awesome." And I'm like, "All right, man." <laughs> and it turned out great. It did. Yeah. He did. He did. He did a. He did a kick-ass job on the entire comic. Like it, it was a lot of fun to see um, what he brought to the pages because um, a lot of that is is just basic. I, did, I, I try not to write scripts too tight to where he doesn't have room to express himself as an artist because I, I notice when I read other comic writer scripts, like they're, they're loose and it, it helps to be loose and just have a basic interpretation as the writer and then let the artist do his job. Like I, my job is to get out of his way. Right. That's how I feel about every project I take on. My job as the writer is just to make sure the character voices are right and that they all that they sound the same. Like they're, they're like you don't have a character saying something that's out of character, and then you have the artist do the heavy lifting. 
you have a great script with crappy art, your book might not sell. Like, the art is what sells your book. It's, say, uh, oh, it's the superb writing on the book sometimes, but most of the time it's the art. Yeah, the, the art brings you in, the writing keeps you there. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I mean, I know Kevin's backstory a little bit, but um, obviously, as uh, Matt and uh, Ricardo, I guess I'll figure out who goes first. Well, Matt, I guess let's go into your background a little bit, because um, you've worked on some other books before, and you also mentioned you had another uh, Kickstarter. Was that also for uh, Pop Apocalypse, or is this for another title? Uh, I did I did two Pop Apocalypse ones, um, and then I did a, uh, when I was in college, with Ricardo, actually, uh, Academy of Art. Like, I ran the comic book club there, and we did, like, an anthology. So can we give like a quick little rundown about Pop Apocalypse? Because other sure. than as insanely fun as it is to say, I, I think it's also something I think maybe people would want to know about. Uh, yeah, it's it's like a post-apocalyptic story that's half serious, half fun. But a lot of the characters in it are based on like mascots for like cereal companies or like fast food companies. So it's like the main character is based on Tony the Tiger. Nice. And uh, yeah, they're just all like doing you know various things, trying to kill each other and stuff like that. The original idea was that there was like a huge, you know, war, kind of like a lot of post-apocalyptic stories. But in this war, all these companies wanted to like advertise, so they created like super soldier mascots to like carry their brand into the, you know, to be, you know, part of the war kind of thing. And uh, all these characters are still alive and they're they're doing stuff, you know, they're trying to kill each other. And so that's the basic idea. The Tony the Tiger character is the main guy, and he's uh, like he was an, like the the best assassin, you know, ever. He has like a split personality. Like when they turned him into like the killer assassin super soldier guy, he had like this personality that was put into him that's like the killer tiger, and he calls it the tiger. And his whole story is is that uh, the tiger personality took over, and ten years go by, and then he's he wakes back up, and he's like, you know, where am I? And he's just like falling from like the sky, and he's just like falling back down to the earth, not knowing what the hell's going on, and he's like figuring out what's happened and stuff like that. Awesome. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, it's a great book. Now, is that available like in any formats, like like digitally or print? Yeah, I have it uh, I have it printed and I have it digitally. I have it on Madefire, uh, which is like a motion comics company. Okay. I work for Madefire. I do like a lot of motion comics stuff for them. It's owned by uh, two artists from England. One of them is uh, Liam Sharp. He's like, currently working on uh, Wonder Woman. And they're like this really cool like company that they're really all about like artists and like uh, they made this whole like tool where you can make motion comics and they put it out there for free for anybody to use and uh, you can use it on DeviantArt like if you go to DeviantArt and go to motion books like all of the motion books there are things that either people have used their tool to do or they've done it for uh, Madefire we're really, like doing VR stuff now and all kinds of crazy innovative comic book stuff so I imagine this book that we're talking about now will also be available on Madefire my boss there he has a, a story in, in the anthology called The Adventures of Barry Cuda which is only four pages, right? He has two two-page stories, and they're, like, incredibly funny. And his, his comic is called Cyberwolf. So if you look up Cyberwolf online with, with a U, if you look up Cyberwolf motion comics, you'll find his, his stuff. And uh, he's hilarious. Like, his, his comics are so good. Awesome. Well, hopefully everybody checks that out. So, Ricardo, shooting over to you, man. Like, um, I didn't even realize it until Kevin said earlier, but um, this was your first comic. Like, that's really cool, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Matt and I uh, went to the same school, the Academy of Art. 
Yeah, we were both in the comic club and we would always just kind of go in there and draw and do comics and just that sort of stuff. So like my last semester, I think I took a couple of comics courses. I was originally a, a concept artist major and realized that I, I really love doing comics, just laying them out and how the whole and having a story flow. So when I got out, that's kind of what I focused on. And when this project came up, I jumped on it right away. Like anything Matt wants me to do, I'll, I'll do it. It was his, his great ideas. Um yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where I started. Yeah, well, I think my, first, my first project. We originally met at a twenty-four hour comic day too. So that's true. Yeah, that we did. And Ricardo was one of the guys who was able to stay the entire time. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even realize you guys knew each other prior to this. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's the beard. It, it lends to a high constitution. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I've watched that beard grow, man. I yeah. watched that beard grow. That beard, that first twenty-four uh, hour comic con is where it all started. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, Kevin, you're the last person to talk about beards, man. I mean, come on, you, you're you've been you've been killing the beard game for a true, while with true. yours. Because it's like, let's see, there's you. Um, what's the letter? Uh, Micah Myers, his is pretty epic. Like, I should just do a, like a podcast of like epic comic creators and beards. I'm down for that. <laughs> but my, <laughs> my beard, my beard grew out of uh, a bet with with Paul Gorey over Oathbound. It was like. Um, <laughs> Why am I not? Well, it was one of the. It was No Shave November, and he's like all enthusiastic and's like, I'm not shaving my beard until this gets picked up. And I'm like, okay, I'll do that too. He was like, really? And I was like, yeah. So I did it, and the beard stayed, which is weird because um, no one was used to seeing me with a beard, so I look completely different with a beard than without. And I have weird beard problems that other people don't have. So it's like I, I like my mustache grows in like a reddish color. So. So um, my, at first, oh, it was it was a disaster. So, I, like, if you see early pictures of me with the beard, the beard's really long, but it's very Amish. Like, I look like a like, like an Amish dude. I'm like, oh, why, why don't you have a mustache? I'm like, well, that grows in red, so that requires <laughs> it looks funky. Like, it, it looks like I have a calico like hat sitting on my face. <laughs> it looks like you dyed it on purpose. Um, with the orange, it looks weird. It's just because my dad was. He was like a strawberry blonde Irish dude. So like, it's weird because my mom's Italian. So like it grows in red and it just looks like a calico cat is sitting on my face. And it's not like, like it can jump off at any time and, and cause random chaos. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I wasn't with that. Um, so I just shaved the mustache all the time. And eventually I was like, I'm just going to let the mustache grow and, and like have to invest in some, some dye to make it the darker because it, it just doesn't look right. Like, I grew a mustache. And I kept on getting all these Amish jokes. In fact, um, one of the comic creators that I always run into, or what he's actually a children's book creator, uh, Robert Deans, he kept on joking about my Amish beard. He's like, oh, he call me Abe Lincoln and stuff like that. And it was it was funny, and the jokes were good. Like, I can, I love jokes on myself. Like, that's funny. But, uh, like, I, I, all the Amish jokes, I was like, okay, man, I grew the mustache in, so now you can't call me Abe Lincoln anymore. So uh, I've just kept it. I've kept it around. What I found is that since I'm single, like, um, Ladies either love beards or they hate them. So like you're you're in a weird area. Like when it comes to uh, to actually trying to date with a beard. <laughs> well, see the thing is, shave off half of it, and depending on you know what I mean, <laughs> that you tilt your head to one side, you kind of stay that way for the rest of the date. Oh man, I'm not sure how that would work. Uh, but, but back back to the I'd comic. Also, the beard. I'd be interested <laughs> how that works. The thing about dating and beards is, if if you're trying to grow it while you're dating, it doesn't work. They'll make you shave it. But if you already have it, when you start dating, they're like, "Oh, that's majestic, and I want to touch it." Works every time. Sixty <laughs> percent of the time. <laughs> like Sex Panther. Right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Mine, mine says real calico catfish. Oh, man. <laughs> I had to fight a bear to get mine. <laughs> oh, wow. I don't know. I'm just jealous because, like, mine kind of grows in patchy. My grandfather, he was uh, blind, and it's funny because every time he come over, you know, he touch your face, you know, and obviously it's like, oh, okay, that was kind of how we'd identify us. But then it's like, as I got older, you know, it's like, okay, it's like stubble, stubble, like this giant beard, but then like no like legitimate mustache. And like the men <laughs> of my family, that's kind of a, like a rite of passage. So when I didn't get mine, like he touched my face and then start laughing. And I'm like, thanks, Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> Like for really, like honestly, I'll, I'll. What I should do is post a picture of myself like today, and and you look at it, it says like, all right, that's not bad. It's like it'll grow in soon. It's like no, that's after like three years of not shaving it. Yeah. Been there. I mean, I could trade you. I could shave this all off, and not all of it would grow back in a week, but I would have a like a riker beard in a week. Nice. <laughs> See, I was gonna say that should totally be an awesome cosplay idea. You're just this riker, like you know what, all day. <laughs> <laughs> Only if I had a Patrick Stewart, man. Only if I had a Patrick Stewart. Well, like I said, I, I've got weird forehead wrinkles, and I'm prone to fits of rage, so I guess I'll be Worf. <laughs> <laughs> Adrian, form an away team. <laughs> <laughs> Ricardo, unfortunately, you're the red shirt. You might not be coming back, man. Oh, no. Oh, that's messed up. Oh, <laughs> oh man. I'm sorry, dude. First of all, I'll, I'll shave my head and be a, a card for you. Make oh, that'd be awesome. There you go. Make that'd be, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> be great cosplay. <laughs> really, really quick, though. What was the best uh, Next Generation like show or movie you ever saw? Ooh, okay. Strictly Next Generation, though, right? Yeah, Strictly. Oh, uh, this this is tough. Um, I'm going to go by movies, because show, that's... Um, what's the one with um, Alfred Woodard with the Borg? Was that First Contact? Yeah, First Contact. That's the one. Oh, I didn't realize yeah. this was like okay. I didn't realize I was getting quizzed. Okay, good Great thing I did right. <laughs> it was a rhetorical question, man. Everybody knows that's the best. That's the best Star Trek. Anything. Oh, okay. Because I was gonna say if I said Nemesis, all of a sudden the call terminates. <laughs> <laughs> Movie. I'll have to go with what Adrian said. First contact, but I really like the show episode where Riker tries to like go on board the Borg vessel, uh, not the Borg vessel, the uh, Klingon vessel, and he's like learning and he's like eating all their food and. Like, trying to be a Klingon, I thought that one was pretty cool. Yeah. For the episode. Like, Riker's on there, and he's, like, like trying to be a Klingon and, like, trying to live up to what a Klingon first officer has to do. I thought that was pretty killer. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Because, like, anybody who's listened to the show, like, I feel like I've alienated an entire group of listeners because, you know, obviously I grew up a Star Wars guy, but, you know, Star Trek is awesome, too. But I'm like, you know what? Actually, I got to bring that back in. So thanks for reminding me of that, because I'm going to have to go back and check out some episodes and come back with some heat, because, oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> Oh boy! Thank you all so much for stopping by. I've had a lot of fun. Like I feel like we barely even got to like had the stuff I wanted oh, to man. ask. I mean, we've I've got time. They've got yeah, time. <laughs> we can have one about beards, Star Trek, Star Wars, and then we can have the other about Not Forgotten, Iron Skull. Um, like bringing it back to Not Forgotten, I hadn't got to see anybody else's story. To say like I was really happy to back it. I'm looking at one right now, the the Atomic Man by Jason Inman. And illustrated by Nick Robles, it looks oh, so good. Black Knight by uh, Max Weinstein. Um, I'm really excited for Moon Girl, uh, Omar Morales' book. Moon Girl, I didn't see that one yeah, in there, um, but I'm a fan of Ryan Cody's work. I've read, uh, read Doc Unknown. Oh yeah, we were stacked to get Ryan Cody uh, on the book. Drawing Mars Mason, the Intergalactic Postman. How dope does that sound? <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't even know what that is, but I just know I want more of it. One of the other stories that I was just like, we, we're doing this one for sure. It's a wacky story. It's just a, he's a guy who is just like this badass who just like delivers mail all across the, all across the, you know, the galaxy. And he kind of gets duped into doing this, this, trying to get this mail into like the, the, the worst like prison facility. Like this kid wants him to mail something to uh, the kid's father. And it's in like the worst prison facility, like in the entire galaxy. And he like has to fight his way to get in there and get his mail to him. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> That's awesome. Matt already mentioned Barracuda by Kevin Buckley. It looks great. And yeah, I think Jet when I first saw the the first art for Atomic Todd, it's like Ren and Stimpy on drugs, and it's amazing. It's so cool looking. Oh, I just scrolled past that. Atomic Todd looks insane. Yeah, Torino the Tundra and the Black Terror. The Black Terror one I'd seen before on the actual page, so I thought that that was great. It's very classic superhero mm-hmm. looking. It's great. Um, so like a lot of these stories are great, and then the cover. Is by James Aaron. So if, if, if you're familiar with um, BPRD or um, Rumble, which is probably my favorite comic right now, um, uh, it's Rumble and Seven, Seven to Eternity. They, they fight it out every month as to which one I like best. Oh, those ones are amazing. I, I just read, read the newest issue of uh, Seven to Eternity last night. Like, I've had it since it came out. I knew I was going to gobble that comic up, so I'm, I'm waiting for the trade. The, every week it's just like, oh, do I, do I, do I buy the single? Do I, do I wait? Do that with Saga. I can't. <laughs> I do do that. Paper with Girls for me, man. Do you ever read Paper Girls? Yes. Yeah, uh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Actually, that's actually a really good question. I like Saga better. I'm sorry. What did you say? Wait, you... I'm sorry. Hold on a second. Who? All right. Was that you, Kevin, that just said that Saga <laughs> was better than Paper Girls? I'm not saying it's better. I, I've read more of it. I've only read one issue of Paper Girls, but I have two trades. So, like, okay. I, I read I'm, the first issue. I'm firmly on Team Paper Girls. It hits this nostalgia thing for me that is working. The one I can't hype enough is definitely Deadly Class. Oh, yeah. yeah. Since I live in San Francisco, it's just, like, perfect. And then the assassins in the school, it's, like, a cool new take. And the the main character is Hispanic. And since we're talking about beards, I'm also on curse words. So, Oh, that one's great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, I was talking to somebody about curse words. I didn't get a chance to pick that one up yet, but I've heard a lot of good things. Awesome! I love yeah, that. Yeah, that was fun. So good. Is anybody reading? Um, what did I just get finished reading last week? Was it um Motor Crush? I'm a little late on that one, but that one was really good. Like I was really shocked because I'm like when I first like first pages, I'm like, what? I'm not even sure what I'm reading. But then at the end, I'm like, holy shit! <laughs> yeah, that starts killing it on the on the art in that one. Yeah, I, that's kind of my favorite comic where it's like I'll just pick it up on a whim because you know like you hear a couple of things you flip through i'm like all right i'm i'm not disliking it but then it's like there's like that one thing that happens where i'm like all right like you almost don't want to read the rest of it because i'm like look just you need a minute to process yeah <laughs> that's what southern bastards did to me which i'm not going to talk about it here in case no one's read it but um you know like that twist that happens a couple of issues in what the hell i put the comic book down and i i haven't done i have i've only done it with saga too like saga I, there's a part where i put it down and was like i can't right now I have the Southern Bastards book, so I haven't read them yet. Oh, good thing I didn't say anything then. It's, it's yeah. great. Um, it's it's. I can't say enough about how good the storytelling is, but it's it's like Jason Aaron. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm every, Jason Aaron. Yeah, everything I've read from Jason Aaron, I've always liked. So. Latour's art fits what he's putting down perfectly, and that's what one of those perfect marriages of story and art that uh, we were just talking about, like where the the story and the art come together. Like it's just great. 
And I think that's what's cool about um, Iron Skull. Like I said, uh, you guys are an awesome team. And I said, well, obviously, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And, you know, especially since Oathbound was kind of where I met you. And like I said, well, you're writing and then looking over uh, Rick's artwork. And like I said, for someone who's, you know, obviously your art prior to this is fantastic. So, of course, taking that into a comic book world. I, I think that's going to be awesome. So, of course, best of luck to you for that. And I mean to cut you off, Kevin, but it's like, I have to, I can't talk about his Iron Skull enough. Thank you. I'm just glad everybody liked it. I was just kind of, it was hard trying to find the, the character, but once I did, it, it all fell together. And Kevin was there to, like, put me in check sometimes when it was, uh, wasn't where it needed to be. So, we worked well together. <laughs> He's just going to send threatening photos of his beer to you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Put more of this in there. <laughs> <laughs> this book needs more beard. I'm like, there's no beard. He has a skull. It's like, I don't care. Don't care. <laughs> Actually, it was really easy to work with Ricardo. Like, with the, the character design was, um, I said, we should just keep the suit. What do you think? And he's like, I don't know. So we went through a few runs of like what we should keep and what should we should get rid of. And the original character wore a suit. So I was like, let's just keep the suit. And yeah, and even within that, we did a couple of suit designs. Yep, he did a couple suit, different suit designs, and then the ring. Um, the ring comes from the old um, 30s and 40s character where he had a ring where he would stamp people's heads, which is which we thought was weird. When you when you read it, if you look it up on Wikipedia, um, the old Iron Skull guy would um, have a ring where he would like kind of like stamp someone's head when he beat them but it was an iron ring. So I'm like, I, you got to be hitting them pretty hard to leave an impression in their dome. <laughs> <laughs> if you think about it, I'm like, whoa, that's kind of brutal. Um, so we wanted to do something with that. So in our story we did, and, um, as we had talked about before, it's, it's a much more, um, supernatural take on the character. Um, it's steeped in mythology and a lot of it's Mexican mythology, like Zabalba has mentioned, which is the Mexican underworld. And, uh, there's La Parca in there, who is the Mexican Grim Reaper, um, which, which after people read it and it's out a bit, we have fun stories about La Parca and his design. (laughs) Because uh, <laughs> um, I, I had to have some humor in there, so Laparca is kind of um, a bad comedian on, on purpose. Yeah, when he sent me that character, he wanted him to be funny, and I just automatically thought of Cheech and Chong. <laughs> uh, so is his character's kind of based nice. off those guys. <laughs> his, his character's basically <laughs> Cheech Marin as the Reaper. So, okay, yeah, that, that's kind of an awesome selling point. <laughs> <laughs> So when I when I would read his lines to, to Rick over the phone, I'm like the line is kind of like this, and so he should be kind of like like Cheech Marin, like like imagine him in from like from Dust Till Dawn, like how he was having these terrible lines, but yeah. because he said them, they were funny. Um, that's this guy. Read him in his voice, it was it was an awesome time. Yeah, I read him in a Cheech Marin voice too. <laughs> he was like, "That's great," <laughs> and uh, and that's who he is. Like so, that's who he became, um, like a skeletal Cheech Marin. Um, just kicking around the underworld. And I was like, we got to do more with this guy. He's like, oh, I want to have him do this. Can he have a car? <laughs> I was like, That's <laughs> awesome. So like when you were talking earlier about more ideas, like when you first see the character, he doesn't have a car, but we talked about like maybe later he gets a car. So like that would be kind of an upgrade for, for him. So he, of course he's going to brag on it because the character he is. So like, yeah. uh, as the characters progress and as they, as they level up, so to speak, uh, they're going to get some new, some new stuff. That's something we had uh, talked about already, but I, I believe before we could do anything else, that, that now that Matt's back, he, he, this question's a little more relevant that you asked earlier, Adrian. Um, we can do more stuff from it, but it, we have to wait, like, what, a year and a day, right? Uh, yeah, just a year. 
Um, no, no. Uh, you have to just to be able to print this original story. Like you could do anything you want with it right now. Oh, there we go. I thought we had to wait. Starts typing. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bye. Just the original story. Just the one that's going to be in the book. Gotcha. Uh, just so people buy the book. Oh, man. Again, thank you guys so much for taking the time out and chat with me. I had so much fun. Before we head out, though, in the spirit of shameless promotion, we'll go down the line and let everybody know, you know, where they can find more of your stuff online. Is there anything else you want to plug? But I figured, Matt, I guess we'll start with you. So if you want to just uh, just let everybody know where they can check out the Kickstarter as well as anything else you want to uh, talk about. So for the Kickstarter, go to Kickstarter and look up Not Forgotten Anthology. Okay. Um, right now, I think actually for the last three days in a row, we've been the most popular comic book project on Kickstarter. That's pretty uh, satisfying. Yeah, yeah. So you'll see it. You'll see it come up. As for me, I have a online comic. I have two online comics. Um, one's called The Sticks Express, and that's uh, an artist for our book. Malcolm uh, Johnson is the artist for that one, and I just write it. And uh, I have Pop Apocalypse on Tumblr, so you just look up. It's like it's the word apocalypse with pop on the front of it. I can say any place so people can check you out online on social networking or my Twitter is and I always forget this. Uh is Stilts Inc. Um so that's S T I L L T S I N C. So it's uh, an extra L in Stilts. And then Matt Harding is my Facebook name and my Instagram is just Stilts. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter. It's just at bearded jalapeno. It's uh, just bearded J A L A P N O. Is there any websites that people could check out your art? Uh, yeah, www.ricardo. So it's basically just Ricardo, but switch the D with a T. RicardoLima.com. And you, Mr. Lincoln? No, stop. <laughs> <laughs> that was nice. That was a good takeaway, man. I like that. Um, now you can't unsee the, the stuff. There's a mustache now. So, I mean, if I, if I get a top hat, I'm going Tom Hardy, like, taboo. Oh, wow. <laughs> nice reference. <laughs> um, sorry. Um, it's, it's Kevin Cuff. And you can find me at Kevin underscore Cuff on Twitter. I wrote a little fantasy Western book called Oathbound, which is at oathboundcomic.com, um, which the second one of those is in pre-production right now. And I also co-wrote The Elvis Adventures. Um, both of them are on Comixology. And I'm working on a bunch of stuff, but the the project that's about to come out is with uh, Angela Sprecher, who went to SCAD, um, and she's doing all the... Uh, Artwork and the colors is called Full Moon Fredo. It's an all ages comic because I wanted to do something for kids since I have one, and I wanted to do that because I always have to shoot my child away from books I'm working on. <laughs> <laughs> I want to have something he can actually look at for once because Elvis wasn't bad. Like, there's a dick joke in there, so I was like, yeah, like it's gonna be over his head, but just the fact that it's in there. Oh crap! Police are here. Oh uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I'm I'm getting arrested right now. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> Again, thank you guys so much, and thank you all for listening. And do feel free to check out their stuff and check out this anthology. Let's get this thing funded because this looks like a lot of fun, and I think everybody will really enjoy it. But uh, that'll do it for this episode of Adrian Has Issues, and we will see you next issue.
Thank you for listening to Adrian Has Issues. Please be sure to visit adrianhasissues.com to stream or download our other great episodes. Like us on Facebook at Adrian Has Issues, on Instagram at Adrian Has Issues Pod, and follow us on Twitter at Adrian Has Issues. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the Satchel Podcast app, available on iOS and Android. Adrian Has Issues is a proud member of the Nerdsloth Network, home to such great podcasts as Nerds on Tap, Cinefreak Critique, and Saturday Morning Cartoon Boom. Visit them at nerdsloth.com.